This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. It's great to be with you this morning, friends. I know that after a week like the week we've lived through, it feels like the disruption is only getting worse. And I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but I would imagine that there is a different mood even this week than there was last week that there was even last month. And I just want to just talk to us really quick about what is our Christian response? What does it mean that Jesus, the reconciler of all things, has given to the Christian the ministry and the message of reconciliation? It means that we're activated as men and women to be in our communities, to help reconcile people back to God first and foremost, and then to one another. We should be messengers and ministers of reconciliation. And then also we are called as Christians to pray, to seek the face of God, that he would move his hand on our behalf, on behalf of our communities, on those who are hurting, those who are afraid, those who are grieving, and that he would minister to them through our prayers. And so as Christians, we, we pray, and then we're activated to be reconcilers. And there is so much grief to go around. It, it's not singular. And so we, we sit in the grief of the loss of life. We sit in the grief of our black brothers and sisters who feel like they have no voice. We sit in the, the grief of others who have lost their livelihoods and their stores that have been burned down from rioting. We sit in the grief of law enforcement families, that children are scared for their moms and their dads who are out on the front lines this week. There is so much to be grieved. And so we lament with everyone. We sit with them, we listen, and we learn. That'd be my encouragement to us, that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. That as, as Christians in Boulder and Weld County, we would listen. We would tune our ears to those who are speaking, those who are grieving and sharing their griefs. And that through our listening, we would be learners. We would learn to, to see the world from another's perspective. And then when God calls us to, at the right time, from our listening and our learning, we would help lead. Lead the mission of reconciliation for the United States forward. But before we begin our message today, would you just take a moment with me and, and let us pray. Let's do the other thing that we're called to do is, is seek the face of God and pray for our brothers and sisters that God would do a great work amongst us. So bow your hearts with me. Lord, the complexities of life are above our pay grades. Lord, our hearts hurt and grieve what has been lost. Lord, we, we sit with brothers and sisters around the United States and and we hear their voices going out. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be messengers and ministers of reconciliation. We pray that we would be gospel people, that people who are hungry for the gospel would hear your voice through our life. Father, we pray that in the midst of our laments, in the midst of our pain, as is in the book of the middle of Lamentations, people would know that great is your faithfulness your mercies are new in the morning. Bring new mercies, Lord, on our communities. Bring new mercies on our families. Bring new mercies on our country. Hear us turn back to you in humility and repentance. And Lord, heal our lands. 
Lord, we pray that you would help reconcile brother to brother, sister to sister, family to family, under the name of Jesus Christ, who is making all things new. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians. Tom did a great job opening up chapter four last week, and we want to continue where he left off this week. And this week's a great, great week to talk about what we're going to look at in verses eight and nine, because our hearts are in so many different places this morning. How, how is your heart? How would you characterize your heart? Is your heart restless? Is it worried? Is it anxious? Is your heart angry? Is it frustrated? Is your heart confused? What's the state of your heart, of your emotional state? And then here's a question for you. How'd you get there? How'd you get to the place where you are right now where you have a bit of anxiety, a bit of worry or anger or frustration? Did you just follow your heart there? Or did you lead your heart there? And if you find yourself in a place where you don't wanna be, if you're restless or anxious or worried or angry and you actually wanna go to another place, how do you get there? Is it possible to lead your heart from where you are today to where you want to be? Is it possible to direct your heart or can you only follow it? In fact, I would tell you from the scriptures, God calls us to direct our hearts, not simply to follow them. It's the world who has told you to follow your heart, wherever it leads. But we know from, from God's word that our heart is rather wicked and deceptive, leading us to a place where maybe we don't even wanna be. And so it is important that we would direct our hearts, speak to our hearts, preach to our hearts and tell them of a new land. Tell them of where to go and be found in God. Think of the Psalms. David is often found in frustrating, challenging, dangerous, scary times. And he sits down to write many of these Psalms in which he laments and he looks at the condition of his heart and then he speaks to his heart of where to go. He is directing his heart. Check out Psalm 42. Psalm 42, David says twice, once in verse five and six and once in verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Who, who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He says, what, what, what's going on inside you that your heart is frustrated and anxious and worried? What, what has happened that your heart has come to this estate? Now heart, listen to me. I'm gonna direct you where you go. I'm gonna lead you heart in the ways of God. Look to God. Remember God, your salvation, your fortress, your refuge, your place of peace. I direct you to go back to God, to start thinking about the things of his faithfulness and his mercies of who he is and what he's accomplished. Think about those things. And so with that in our mind of wherever we find our hearts today, now knowing that we can actually direct our hearts, let's turn over to Philippians where we go from last week of the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds to now the God of peace who guides our hearts and our minds. What we're gonna see in Philippians four today, verses eight and nine, is how the Christian should think. This is the mind of the Christian. In all these things that we're asking ourselves, what do we do? What should, what should our response be? Paul's gonna tell us 
What does the mind of the Christian think about? So go to Philippians chapter four, and we're actually gonna pick up where we left off or pick up where we were preaching last week, starting in verse four. So four, verse four, this is what, what Pastor Tom was talking about. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a, that's a beautiful exchange that, that Tom talked about last week that Paul's talking about right here. That you would come to God and say, here's my heart's condition. It's anxious, it's restless, it's worried. And here are my needs that I have to make it through tomorrow. And so with thanksgiving, you present all of your anxieties and your needs to God. And then he takes those and he gives you rest. He gives you peace. This peace that surpasses all understanding. How could it be so? How could, how could my heart be at rest in the midst of such a disruption? Only God knows. It surpasses human knowledge. And that peace guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And then the heart and the mind that is guarded by God's peace begins to think differently or think about things differently. And so in verse eight, Paul says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so the mind that is guarded by God's peace is now guided, directed of how to think. And there are five characteristics that Paul doesn't want you to miss. He doesn't say whatever is, true, honorable, lovely, pure, and just list it. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, just so you can slow down and get the point that these are the things that we think about. And where our mind goes in order to direct our hearts begins with whatever is true. You have to start with whatever is true. If you don't know what is true, then you cannot lead your heart, direct your heart away from the anxieties and worries, the fear and the anger. You have to know what is true. This is the beginning of transformation. Dr. Martin Luther King preached often about the work of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ for enemy and neighbor, the transformational love of Jesus Christ. In one of Dr. King's sermons, he simply said this. He says, one day we will learn that the heart can never be totally right if the head is totally wrong. You can't change your heart. When your heart is filled up with your actions, it's the wellspring of your life that comes out. You can't change your actions, how you live, if your head is wrong. And so the head must begin to think about whatever is true, after Dr. King said that, he then went on to, to quote John chapter three and said, but here's the problem. The problem is this, that light, this truth, this light has come into the world, darkness. 
And men and women loved their deeds that were dark. And because they loved their deeds of darkness, they did not come to the light, did not come to truth. They retreated further into darkness away from the light. Lest their deeds, which are evil, would be exposed by the truth, the light, and then come to life in Jesus Christ. This light that John talks about, this light that Dr. King is saying is so important about truth is Jesus himself. Remember what Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that I am the light, life, and there is no other way to come to the Father except through me. I am this truth. Remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate, right before his crucifixion, he was standing before one of the most powerful men in the whole region. This was the man who had the authority over his life to put him on the cross or not. And there he's peppering Jesus with questions, but like Jesus as a lamb to the slaughter remained silent until he spoke about the kingdom. And Pilate said, oh, you're a king then. And you have a kingdom. And Jesus' response was this. Well, let's look at it. This is, this is John chapter 18, verse 37. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is on the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Come on, isn't truth just relative? You have your truth, I have my truth. No, no, no. Jesus is the light of the world, as Dr. King was saying, coming into darkness to proclaim truth. Jesus says, for this reason, I came so that I would testify, I would bear witness to, that I would share truth. Truth about what, Jesus? Truth about everything. Truth about who God is. Truth about who you are. Truth about how this world came to be and where this world is going. I'm gonna tell you the truth about marriage. I'm gonna tell you the truth about nations and reconciliation. I'm gonna tell you the truth about all these things, because you, Christian, are going to know the truth. And the truth is what will set you free. This is the truth. And those who love truth love the words of Jesus. That's what he says. Do you love truth? Then you'll love the words of Jesus. Do you love the words of Jesus? Then you'll love truth. And so here Paul directs us to where we must begin. Christian mind that's guarded by the peace of Christ is to be meditating, thinking, consuming what is true. If we're going to direct our hearts, we have to start first and foremost with what is true. And the words of Jesus are truth. That's where we begin. Do you love truth? I know, I know the quick answer is yes. I, mean, I love truth. Of course I love truth. Who would want to be lied to? Well, think about this for a second. Think about all the things that we consume, content that we consume. Do we really love the stripped away truth? Or do we love it with just a little bit of an airbrush to it? A bit of a filter, a bit of a different angle than maybe the truth would show. Maybe we like things a bit more made up than we would be honest with ourselves. Perhaps, do, do you love truth like the whole story? As Paul Harvey would say, and now you know the whole story, the rest of the story. Or do we just love headlines, clickbait? That kind of gives us a, a sense of that we, we are reaffirmed in the positions that we hold. 
Do we love truth or do we turn into popular news sources that give us commentary on truth? Do we love their opinions or the true story more? Will we go to greater lengths to find out the true story? I'll tell you, truth matters. It does. And it's worth putting your mind to and pursuing. We must love truth if we're ever going to direct our hearts. I agree with Dr. King. We cannot transform our wrong hearts with wrong minds. We must look to the words of Jesus' truth and put our mind to it. The second thing Paul says, if you go back to Philippians 4, is not only to think about what is true, but to think about what is honorable. It means think about things that are excellent. Like they're not ignoble. They're not shameful. They're not disrespectful. There's an honor piece to it. You hold it in high regard. This is not things in the, the ditch or the slum. This is, they're talking about not in our minds of being in the gutter, but what is honorable. Think about what is honorable. And then he says, whatever is just. Justice is in our face right now. Do you love justice? The reason we think about what is honorable and just is because God is honorable and just as well. These are attributes of God. These are attributes that Jesus perfectly embodied, that he is true, that he is honorable, and that he is just. God loves justice. Remember, Jesus was on the cross as an act of justice, as well as an act of love. A justice to receive the due penalty for our sins because God couldn't just simply sweep it under the rug that he had to deal with it. A just God has to deal with sins. But he says, look at this, not only do you have to think about whatever is just, but whatever is pure. And so the justice that we think about has to be pure justice. It can't be polluted justice, vengeful justice. It has to be justice that is right and fitting, a pure justice. And so think about whatever is true, think about whatever is honorable and just. Put your mind to the things that are pure. Do you love things that are pure? How about the shows that we watch, the movies that we consume, the books that we read? Do you love purity? Now, I know when you, when you hear the word pure, I bet you a lot of us think, oh man, you mean prude. You think all this kind of has to be prude. No, no, I'm not saying prude. Put your mind in a different category when you think about pure. How, how would you like gold? Would you like gold pure? or mixed in with other elements, diluted. How about if I were to give you a diamond, would you like a pure diamond or would you like a diamond with a whole bunch of inclusions that the cut and clarity and the color is way off, it's on the yellow scale, or would you like a diamond that's pure? How about water? If you're gonna drink water, would you like your water to be filled with impurities, things that can make you sick? Or do you want natural, pure spring water? So I think when we think of these things, we understand what purity is. And we love things that are pure. And so here Paul tells us, okay, the Christian mind is to think about, meditate, consume things that are pure. That we want to think about these things. That we, we don't want to put up with any impurities that we would consume and ingest into our minds, into our bodies. That purity matters for the Christian and so think about whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely. Another word for lovely is, is beautiful. Remember, God's a creative God. He created all of us. He created the beauty of the mountains and the oceans and the skies. He created the beauties of the desert, sunsets and sunrises. God loves beauty. 
It speaks to his, his artistic creation. And so put your minds on what is beautiful, whatever's lovely. And when we say it's beautiful, we say, okay, it's also in the sense of honorable and pure and true. That's the beauty that we're seeking after. That's the love we're seeking after is honorable, pure, true, just beauty. And then he ends with this. Think about whatever is commendable, like what you would recommend to other people, what you would talk about with other people, what you would show other people, whatever's commendable. It's, it's kind of interesting to me that many people will commend a book or a song or a TV show or a series to me and then preface it with this. But okay, we know that there's like some content in there that's really not good. There, there's like graphic violence. There might be some nudity or whatnot, but, but the storyline, the storyline is so good, Thomas. You're gonna love it. Occasionally I'll turn these things on and think, what? wait, wait, here's just a check. Is this pure? Is this lovely? Does this speak of justice and truth? This was commended to me by another Christian brother or sister. And I'm looking at this saying, wait, if this is the lens of the Christian mind, then I have no business consuming this. I don't want anything to do with this, even though the storyline is captivating. My mind should not be set on these things. He says, finally, okay, whatever is excellent, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, Think about these things. This is what the Christian puts their mind to. Think about these things. And, and I love that what, what Paul's setting up here for the Christian is to be a discerning person. So many Christians that I meet are downloaders. It's like they just, they just find their, their pastors or their ministries and then they ask no more questions. They just download content and never discern things anymore. And what Paul's saying is here, okay, I'm not gonna write a book called Eat This, Not That. Watch this, not don't watch that. Let, just bring me your video game collection, bring me your movie collection. I'll tell you which ones are Christian movies and which ones aren't. He's not saying that. He's saying, hey, be a discerning Christian. Here's a lens that whenever you're gonna consume something, the Christian puts their minds to what is true and honorable and just, things that are pure and lovely and commendable. And so when I pick up this book and I pick up this movie and I turn on this show and I listen to this music, I have a discerning heart that says, is that this? Does this help me think about the things that are true and honorable and lovely? And if not, then I have the courage to say, that's not for me. I belong to Jesus Christ. My mind is guarded in the peace of God. And now the presence of God is guiding my mind. And what my mind is guided to is this. This is the filter. And so perhaps, friend, I would just ask you these questions. I don't even need you to like turn anything off this week. Here, here are three things that I would encourage you to do based on this text so that you can direct your heart away from the anxieties into the peace and the rest of Christ. There are three things. Just take inventory of everything you consume. You don't have to change a behavior this week. Just every time you're about to consume something, you're about to stream your next show, you're about to pick up your next book, you're about to listen to your next movie, your next podcast, just ask, okay, what am I consuming? Just take inventory of it and just write it down. This is the stuff that I fill my mind with and that's gonna direct my heart. And then after you take an inventory, then simply ask yourself, what needs to be removed? What needs to be removed that was previously 
watching, listening to, meditating on that is not for me because my mind is in Christ. And so then what needs to be removed? And then what needs to be added? Specifically, the words of God need to be added to our life. We start there. God's word needs to be added as a daily diet of what is true and what is honorable and what is just. That's God's words that we want to ingest the pure word of God into our lives. This will direct our hearts. This is exactly what David said. Why is your heart all worried and downcast and anxious, friend? Turn to God. Hope in God. Turn to his word and allow God to direct your heart out of that estate and give you the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And so those, are those, those three things, take inventory of what do I consume? Then take action. What do I need to remove? And what do I need to add so that my mind would think about these things? Remember, this isn't a suggestion. This is an imperative, a command from the apostle, from God's word. Christian, think about these things. So this is right thinking. And then he turns in this last section to right living, right acting. And he simply says this in verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There's something about God's presence in our life, God showing up in our life, God revealing himself in our life that's tied to how we're living. Look, at, look back to the, the apostle John in his gospel, John chapter 14. This is what Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, starting in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If you have God's commandments and you do them, that's an act of love. And if you do them and you're, you're loving, you're showing you love Jesus and you're loved by the Father and those who obey my commandments, who act this way, I will manifest myself to them. Your, your NIV probably says, show myself to them. I'll reveal, I'll be present with them. And so here Paul is tying that to the way that we live and act is correlated to God showing himself to us. And so if we live and act in a way that's incongruent with who we are in Christ, if we know his commands and we don't do them, we, we show that we don't love him. But if we do them and we practice them, then the God of peace will be with us. Not only will God's peace guard us, but now God of peace will guide us. Now here's an interesting, one last little point on this, verse nine. This is what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Our actions, our acting, our behaving, our practicing is not independent of ourselves. It's not as though we are self-directing. Like we get up and we choose whatever we want to do independent from anything anyone says or what we've learned. No, Paul actually ties this. How you live, how you act, how you behave is directly correlated to what you have learned, what you have received, what you have seen, and what you have heard. And Paul says, okay, if we're all acting, if we're all behaving, if we're all practicing from what we've learned and received, heard and seen, then practice, live the things that you have heard and received and learned and heard and received, seen and heard from me. That you do these things. And what Paul's giving them first and foremost is the gospel. Remember, he, Paul himself is a learner. Look at, look at the end of chapter four, verse 11. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in, in much, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I have learned these things. And then he says, okay, as I'm a learner, I've taught you to be a learner. These are pastoral remarks. Imitate me. Okay, now, now practice what you have received. It doesn't just, you don't create your own life. You, you, you operate under what you've received. Paul is reminding them of what they have received in him. He says this to another church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if I can get there. 15.1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes through that he's died and resurrected, and now that he can forgive sins. And it didn't start with Paul. Paul didn't make this up. Paul received it and passed it on. And they receive it and pass it on. And so we are to practice what we have learned and received. And then Paul's heard and seen. So Paul says, look at my life. You, you've, you've watched me live this out. You've observed how I've lived this truth and the life that I live. Now be imitators of me, practice these things. And so in these short verses from last week to this week, we learn right prayers. We learn right thinking and right acting. And what's given to us is the peace of God and the God of peace that guards and guides the Christian so that we can direct our hearts away from anxious, restless, worry, fear, and anger to God and receive rest and peace in him. That is the greatest news, friend, that God is in this exchange as you give him your anxieties and your needs. And with thanksgiving, he gives you his peace. And then we put our minds on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is commendable. Think about these things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we have a great peace, a great inheritance, a great future. And so Lord, let us think about these things and direct our hearts, Lord, that our actions might change. But I pray for every man and woman who has tuned in this morning. I pray that they would sow a thought and reap an action that they would sow these actions to reap a habit, that they would sow new habits and reap a new character, that they would sow a new character and reap a new future. Father, would you do this transformational work as we set our minds to these things and as we set our hands and our feet to practice these things, knowing that you are with us. Amen.